You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and it's here. Boy, it's been a while, Scott. Scott Eklund, our recruiting editor from Dogman, is with me, and it's been a minute since we got together. Obviously, kind of post-spring, you and Kim Grinnells uh, did all the breakdowns on all the positions and everything like that, which was much appreciated by me. But now we're going to get into the real meat, the stuff that people really, really want to know about, which is your take on Kalen DeBoer's new woof on twitter this is the breaking news that we're going to be talking about ladies and gentlemen come on give me your hottest take on the new woof from kaylin DeBoer. what do you think of it yeah um i mean it's it's got a little bit more hype than than maybe the um one the first one that they did which was just the um i what was that was that it wasn't glowing eyes but it was like a thunderstorm with a woof or something like on it or i can't remember what it was but Whatever it's so it was. old now. It's like, yeah. it's like years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in today's ever-changing world, um, I have a feeling they're probably just going to do a new one each year. Um, and that'll be cool. You know, it's just something something new to get used to. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it it is what it is. You know, people have fun with it. The coaches seem to be having fun with it. And and it's, uh, it brings a bit of levity to a very serious part of the recruiting or to the to the landscape of college football nowadays. Well, I think it even took DeBoer a little bit off guard because just like the initial one, there was a bit of a growing pain by trying to establish what exactly he was trying to do. And mm-hmm. so at first he literally just put out the, I call it the GIF. Some people call it the GIF, but I call yeah. it the GIF. He put out the GIF with like no context. And yeah. so I literally tweeted out, I added the quote and I said, I think this might be the new woof. Yeah. <laughs> and then he deleted it. Because he, because he obviously, you know, needed to let people know that yeah. it, it's kind of like the unspoken thing. You have to let people know it's about a commitment without saying it's about a commitment. Yeah. If you're he, the head coach. Yeah, because he put it back up there, new year, new woof or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so th- that was kind of funny. So they're all, they're obviously still working through some things too. Yeah. And it, it, it's never a perfect thing. I always thing. thought that, I always thought the it, it, it's kind of like the bat signal. I always thought the bat signal was kind of a cool thing. You know, hey, you, you know what? Hey, maybe you'll be giving them an idea for next yeah. year's bluff. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of a cool thing because, you know, people are always looking for it. And Batman was always looking for that that uh, bat signal. So uh, and, and yeah. now we can now we can talk about it as a trivia question, Scott, because who was the first commit to ever get the new woof from Kalen DeBoer? Talk to us about Packy Finau. 
Yeah, Pocky Finau, he's a, a big guy, uh, could play guard or tackle, uh, most likely is going to slot in as a a uh, tackle. But, you know, he he's got the size to be a to be a guard, um, actually doesn't have the ideal size for um, an offensive lineman at, you know, that that's going to play a tackle spot in, in, in college football because he's only goes about six, four and he's about 260, 265 right now. Um, so he's not the biggest guy in the world right now, but uh, he's got the frame to easily add another 20, 30 pounds, um, you know, 30 pounds, maybe even 40 pounds, get up to about 305 and uh, be just a mauler at the next level. Um, has has some work to do on on his footwork and things like that. But every offensive lineman that comes into college has has those kind of things to work on. So um, great get for Washington, a four star guy. He had offers from a lot of power five schools. Most of the Pac-12 had offered him um, a guy that but but he's been very high on Washington from the beginning. I mean, he had a very strong relationship with with Coach Huff. He had a good relationship with Courtney Morgan. And, and I think Washington played their cards right with him, uh, pushed him to get that commitment because that one was one that we had all kind of seen brewing for a little while now. Yeah, and he's set to play in the 2024 Polynesian Bowl, so that's always a good thing. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the offers were strong. I mean, he picked Washington over. You talked about most of the Pac-12, Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, uh, Cal. Um, boy, you know, Oregon offered him, Oregon State offered him, UCLA offered him. You always kind of want to see from the from the California kids whether or not USC and UCLA are paying attention. Clearly UCLA was. But then he also had guys like Penn State and Auburn and Miami. And mm-hmm. so that you know, there 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 was a good cross section of of pretty sizable offers for this kid. Yeah, yeah, he's and he's a guy um uh, that that really wants to um, you know I, he wants to enroll early um, and I think he's going to be a guy that uh, you know Husky fans are going to really appreciate the fact that this staff was able to get him in the system. He, that, the, the one thing about that people need to remember about offensive linemen, especially, but all line spots, defensive and offensive, is these are guys that you need to be excited about, but they're almost like the pitchers that uh, the Mariners will draft out of high school. You're not going to see the dividends for a couple of years because he has some work to do. He needs to get strength stronger. He needs to work on his technique. He needs to just get used to the college game. He needs to get used to going to class and, and the expectations. And you don't have your parents standing over you, uh, making sure you're getting your homework done. He's going to have to do it on his own and not, you know, he'll have tutors and everything like that, but just get used to being a college student athlete and everything like that. And, and so, um, he's not a guy who you're going to see right away, especially with the way Washington recruited the offensive line this past year, he's not going to be on the field right away, but down the road, 2026, 2027, that's when you're going to see him make his impact. Yeah. And, and there's, there's certainly something to be said, for the way Kalen DeBoer and his Washington staff now kind of approach these things. They're starting to think a little bit more long-term now. I mean, you really, you know, you start to look at some of the trends that are going on in terms of, you know, when, 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 when players are announcing on Twitter that they've got an offer from Washington, you're, you're seeing not just the 2024 kids. In fact, to be honest with you, if they offer any more 2024 kids, it might be a bit of a shock because they've already offered, I think, close to 160. If I yeah. last time I checked, but like you know, that. Yeah. 
yeah, now they're offered 2020. They've offered a ton of 2025 kids. They've offered quite a few 2026 kids already. Hell, they've even offered a couple kids that aren't in high school yet. They'll be in high school yeah. in the fall. It's that's scary. How, that's, yeah, that's how kind of crazy this goes. And they're not quarterbacks. They're, mm-hmm. they're not quarterbacks. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, before we kind of get into some of the trends that we're seeing with this staff and how they offer and how many they offer and things like that, I'm just kind of curious now, Scott, with how you think the coaches are going to do in terms of maintaining these commitments, because clearly Austin Mack was an outlier. He he could have been a 2024 kid, but he reclassified. He's coming in this summer, which separated him from one of Washington's 2024 commits, which is Garfield quarterback EJ Kamenong. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's been thoughts that he's going he's gonna to go to other places to check things out. Washington may be looking at other quarterbacks as well. I, I'm just kind of curious about your sense of of how strong it is that that this staff is really going to be able to maintain what they get in this age of NIL. Guys looking around, it seems like everyone kind of has an eye in another direction. Yeah, it, it the, you know I think we're still kind of figuring our way out through this whole thing. You know, Chris, I I don't know if we're we kind of know yet how this thing's going to play out. I think we need another two or three years before we really start to see where things go with NIL because, you know, there's some rumors that NILs, you know, they, they had those stuff that went on with Florida's NIL uh, cooperative where um, they, they didn't make good on their deals and that they had promised um, Jaden Rashada and he ends up at ASU. And so, you know, we're going to see a lot of these, um, what are they, what, they are called cooperatives, right? Whatever they are, um, th- where these, these schools aren't able to, or the, the cooperatives aren't able to fulfill the deals that they, these kids are thinking they're going to be able to sign. And so I think you're going to see some movement from that where guys aren't looking at NIL as much as they are fit and, and they're looking for their relationship with the coaches. And that was always important anyway. But I think you're going to see once we start to see things start to the dust start to settle on the NIL groove and and also how some of these coaches are with kids uh, transferring in. And then, I mean, look at what Coach Prime did. He brings in all these guys and how many guys who transferred in during the winter have already put their names back in the transfer portal for the summer? you know, right. to Colorado. So you're going to start seeing kids get a little bit more savvy in the way that they do things. And they're not just going to jump at the first things, you know, a lot of these deals that, that are worked out for NIL and for the under the table stuff that was before NIL was legal. And, and the, the back room stuff that's going on with transfers and stuff like that. A lot of that is done by parents, especially dads, but also um, it's done through uh, acquaintances and people that are hangers on and stuff like that. And I think a lot of these kids are going to start getting a little bit more savvy about the way they do these things. And they're going to want things in writing and they're going to want things uh, that are promised. They're going to make, they're going to make sure that those get, get delivered. And if they don't get delivered, they're not going to stick with the school that they're at. And then are those cooperatives even going to be allowed to be used by those, by, by those uh, coaching staffs? Are they even going to talk to those guys anymore for the schools that they're representing? So you know, there's just a lot of different things that need to settle out, Chris. And I think, yes, for the for the in the short term, you're 
it's going to be wild west. It really is. People have described it that way. And I hate to be cliche when I reiterate that, but it really is the wild west. Cause we just, there's not a lot of rules right now. And the rules that are out there are not being followed. And so, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, you know, sometimes, you know, I've thought to myself, I'm like, yeah, they might get a bunch of commitments before the senior season, but since kids can now take unlimited amounts of unofficial or official visits, who's to say that these kids lock in their five, five in the summer and you think, okay, we got them. They can't take any more official visits. And then they go and they're going to go on two or three more during the fall. And so it's, there's a lot of stuff that's just changed. I mean, the landscape of recruiting in college football over the last 18 months is just completely flipped, you know, done a complete 180 and and made it so that it's really hard to read whether kids are going to sign with a university or not. Yeah, and I, I do think it's really going to test coaches like Kalen DeBoer and and just how much they believe in their culture and mm-hmm. how much they believe in the continuity of it and just maintaining the status quo and continuing to really focus on what they what they their core beliefs, right? Yeah, because there's a lot because, you know, we've talked about a lot of times, you know, you if your culture is good on the inside, then everything else can kind of uh, flourish as a result on the outside, including what happens on the field. We saw it last year when they went when Washington went 11 and two. Now, there are some people that look at the end result and figure out a mechanism to try to achieve that result. That's a lot trickier. And I think we're seeing more of that with NIL because of these short term the potential for short-term gains. What I do think is is happening in a trend right now with NIL, we're seeing more and more of the negative stories come out, not the positive stories. We're starting to, you talked about the, the Florida Collective with Jaden Rashad and how that kind of blew up. I think just as a culture, and, and I'm talking about this more just generally, we're used to, to really kind of, digging in on the negative stuff instead of the positive stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to find more and more examples of players and families, not necessarily getting screwed over, but not getting what they expected. Let's put mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That, that, that this thing ends up being way different than what they, than maybe either what they were promised or what they anticipated. The ones who are doing it the right way are getting representation whether that's an agent, whether that's a lawyer, whoever it is, they're the ones that are looking at it as a legitimate business deal. Because when you go into this for the first time and you're going up against someone in business who wants to pay you money, well, they got to that lot in life because they're good business people. Mm -hmm. They, they, They understand. They've been on that side before. It's like recruiting. Again, it's just a whole separate sub- uh, culture of recruiting like a coach uh, when it, when a family uh, is there in their living room and a head coach comes in it's like the fox in the hen house right mm-hmm. the, the coach has been there a zillion times they know every trick in the book they're going to throw everything they can at you to get you to sign on the dotted line it's no different in nil so hopefully not only do we get to see more of the positive stories to kind of hammer out the negative stuff. Although I do have a sinking feeling 
that the longer this goes on, we're going to see some real things blow up. We already kind of have in the last month or so. I think the athletic has had a couple stories about some NIL stuff that's gone horribly South. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think that people, hopefully families will get wise to it and they'll, and, and, and the, you know, the more and more we stack these classes on top of each other that have been dealing with NIL in the real world, that hopefully they will make their changes and understand that they have to really protect themselves. Yeah. And, and hopefully they can, like you said, they can maybe take that away from the equation so they can really focus more on fit from a football and school perspective and let the agents and the lawyers and whatever else deal with the business people when it comes to NIL. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, Chris. It's it, I like I said, it's just got so much that needs to kind of settle out and, and figure out. So I, I still think we're, you know, less than five years, but more than two or three years. I, I think we're right in that range about where we're going to be able to find uh, see, see how things kind of settle out in, in that realm. And, you know, just real quick, uh, Chris, you know, and I posted a link to this, um, sounds like EA sports came to an agreement, um, in principle on that the players are going to be paid, uh, by them, you know, and for their participation and, and they can opt in and, and get paid by the, by the video game system. So, um, you know, that's another avenue that these kids are going to be able to get paid, uh, for, on um you know for nil and that's going to be real interesting well yeah and and to really not get too much into the weeds the other thing that just happened this week is the national labor relations board is trying to file a complaint against uh university of southern california the pac-12 and then the ncaa because they want to have the ucla players or excuse me the usc players treated they need they they need to be treated as employees actual employees of the school yeah well when you when you have that aspect and you're butting it head first against the situation where in these nil worlds these people are being treated as contracted people how how is that all going to work yeah it just feels to me like that's oil and water that's not going to mix yeah, don't you, get me started on on that whole. NLR. No, 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 no. But I'm just yeah. I'm just saying in the real world. Yep. You, you can't have a situation where someone is an employee and then on a separate entity, completely independent of the school, because the people have to, fans need to remember, NIL is completely independent of the university. Yeah. It, at least in terms of now, that also brings in a bit of a wrench because it depends on the state you're dealing with. Yeah. But at least for Washington, it would be completely independent of what the school is. School has nothing to do with NIL. Mm -hmm. So unless unless the state legislature decides to get involved and have the school act as its own agent for NIL, which it could absolutely do, it could absolutely do that. You're you're going to see more and more of these complaints come up where the school the schools are going to have to deal with this potential that the players could end up actually being employees and how that works with NIL is something that I haven't, I haven't quite figured out yet. So again, it just kind of goes to your general point that there is a lot of work, a lot of moving parts to this whole thing and how it all fits together. I don't think anybody knows at this point. Yep. Yep. You're right. Absolutely. let's go back to the actual recruiting part of this whole thing, because that's, that's the focus of our, podcast today 
I'm really curious as to what you see some of the trends are with um, Kalen DeBoer and his staff, maybe in comparison to the previous couple staffs that have been here. The one thing that I did find as a constant, and it goes back to this thought about maintaining commitments, I really do feel that Kalen DeBoer follows the same blueprint as Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake is. I don't think he pushes. I think he I think he has so much faith in his culture and doing things the right way that they will invariably weed out the people that they need to get. Like it's it's like a filter. Invariably the people that are supposed to be at Washington are the ones that absolutely fit the culture, fit what they need on the field and all of those other intangibles. That I have found to be fairly similar. But I have, you know, this whole thing of like almost 160 offers already, I have found that to be obviously quite different than what Chris Peterson and, and Jimmy Lake had done in the past. Are there any other trends or any other things that you feel have kind of separated DeBoer and his staff from what the previous staffs have done? Well, you know, Chris, you, you know, you kind of made the mention, you know, Washington just has offered a lot more younger guys and than they did under Chris Peterson. And Jimmy Lake really didn't get the chance because of the way things were set up during COVID. And even in 2021, they still were under some restrictions on when guys could take official visits and stuff like that. So who knows what Jimmy Lake would have ended up doing if he had had success and been able to stick around. But, um, you know, just they, they've been super aggressive on the recruiting trail making offers to guys um what i what what the offer really they're treating it like a lot of schools are right now um which is the offer means we're super interested in you it doesn't mean that it doesn't always mean that it's committable um you know they wouldn't take necessarily take a commitment from some of these guys right now but we want you to know we like you and we think you've got potential and we want to we're going to continue recruiting you and and things like that so it gets it gets them in the in the door with the kid and then it's kind of a free-for-all to, you know, hey, get up here. We're going to have you come on a visit. Or, hey, maybe, you know what, we want to see a little bit more from you, so we're not going to have you come up for a visit quite yet because we're we're not ready to to get that serious about you. But we liked you enough to offer you, and, and we're, the offer is still good, but um, we're not ready to take your commitment yet. And the kids, most of these kids aren't going to commit on the spot. They're, that, that's, that's part of the thing that the coaches need to understand and, and why the, they their job is such a walking a tightrope is – um, if I make an offer to this kid right now, but we aren't really ready to take him because we like a few more guys, but we want to be in with him in case we don't get some of these other guys. If I offer him, is he going to jump on the chance to, to take, you know, to commit? And so, and, cause then you run into some other hairy stuff that you got to deal with, you know, where, well, we're not quite ready yet. And, you know, let's just take our time and things like that. But, um, you know, so it's a real fine line that they have to walk through. And that's why these coaches, especially Eric Schmidt, that this is one thing that several uh, edges that I've talked to recently have told me is just that Eric Schmidt have told them straight up, hey, I don't make guys offers right away just because I like them a lot. I want to get to know them. I want to get to know their parents and their family and their 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 uh, group that they're around. I want to see how they are in the class in the classroom. I want to see how I want. He wants to get to know the whole kid before he actually makes an offer. And some of them have really appreciated that, that he's taken his time to make offers to them. Uh, the most recent was uh, Keona Wilhite, uh, the uh, edge down at South Point Catholic said, you know, he could have offered me a while ago because we've been talking for over a month. But he wanted to get down and see me run, but he also wanted to do the the stuff on the back end, you know, where he got to know me, got to know my parents, got to know my coaches, 
um, and and scouted me and and evaluated me and made sure that I was a guy that they wanted in the program. And and I think that's been big uh, for Eric Schmidt out on the recruiting trail is being honest with these kids and up front. And I think the kids appreciate the upfront, um, uh, what do you call it, the upfront style? You know that hey. We're not going to offer you right away, but it doesn't mean we don't like we don't like you. So some cook, some kids need to be offered early to for you to even be in it, you know, down the line. And some don't. And so it's a lot of it's just being able to read kids and read families and read the way things are going. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, in, in his specific example, he goes to the same school as another edge player, Elijah Rushing, who is elite. I mean, yep. every school in the country is after Elijah Rushing. And it could have been very easy for Schmidt to just go down there and offer both of them on the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Just, hey, we're just we're just throwing out offers like they're candy, mm-hmm. um, you know, like they're golden tickets to Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Just here you go. You know, we don't we don't we don't we don't really care if it's special or not. We're just here you're going to go. But to separate them the way they did, it probably makes sense to a guy like Keona Wilhite because Will Height is looking across the line to his guy rushing and going, okay, that's the guy that everyone's focused on. I wonder if anybody is interested in maybe what I have to offer. And now all of a sudden you have Eric Schmidt coming to him after talking to him for a bit, like you said, getting to know him, his extended family, every, everything about him. They come back and offer. I think that offers gravity to well, the offer. Yeah, it's the other he- thing. I'm sorry, Chris. The other thing about Wilhite, though, and I, we're going to talk about offers and things like that later here in the discussion. But the thing about Wilhite is if you watch his film, he can play multiple positions. So Washington had to had to, you know, because he plays some three eye. He plays some uh, four eye. He plays some edge. He plays some seven technique. He does a lot of different things in that system. And he only played in six games because of transfer rules. So, you know, Washington needed to do a lot more in-depth uh, study and evaluation of what he can do and what he brings as opposed to Elijah Rushing, who you just watch him. And I mean, his name is so perfect. I mean, if ever there was a name for, for either a running back or an edge rusher, it's rushing, you know? And, right, right. and, and so when, when I remember, I remember seeing him as an underclassman, he was a sophomore coming up to be his junior uh, uh, last year at this time. And uh, just was being really impressed with his length and his size and 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 his get off and all those and his athleticism, all those different things that you can say about him. And um, and so he was kind of a no brainer. But, you know, Keona Wilhite is a guy who you, you need to take a little bit more time with. And, and so you can see the different approaches there. Yeah. And again, you, you mentioned you mentioned some of the the the. the the, the kind of the the other the other things that were going on for him that makes sense on doing a little mm-hmm. bit more due diligence. The other thing is it's just just basically when you talk about the the versatility of a player like Will Hite, sounds to me like they're trying to find another player that could fit the role of what Voy Tanufi is doing right now for them. Yeah, so, they yeah they they've got you know they've got uh, different guys that they different bodies styles and and playing types that they that they want in a guy that they end up bringing in uh for the edge spot and um they're actually treating them a lot like because i've talked to the kids um they're acting a lot like you know how they have a field corner and a boundary corner right and the boundary corner needs to be more able to hold up against the run whereas the field guy needs to be able to hold up more in 
be a little bit better and more dynamic in pass coverage. And well, the field edge guy needs to be able to hold up against the run a little more than the boundary guy does because the boundary guy is the one that they expect to rush the quarterback. So you're looking for different body sizes and, and styles of play and all those different things. So it's, it's real intricate the way the coaches have to offer these guys. One trend that I was going to ask you about, and I think has been talked about a little bit on the message boards, just because it's, it's actually a class behind it's the 2025 class it's just the sheer number of quarterbacks. Um, it, it's clear to me, just reading between the lines and having been having done this for a little while, they've already offered ten quarterbacks for twenty five, yeah. and those those are just the ones we know of publicly. Yeah, um, they could there could be other guys out there that that either have, don't have Twitter accounts or, or 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 haven't announced it publicly, what have you. Um, it just seems to me that they're they're setting themselves up to take a couple quarterbacks. And it makes sense because Michael Penix has gone after the 2023 season. Uh, Dylan Morris will be gone after 2024. Uh, and yep. so then you, you really get young after that. I mean, you yep. really get young because the quarterbacks that are going to be on the roster by that point are, we're talking about walk-ons right now. Yeah. And guys like Austin Mack and, and I assume EJ Kamenong. Mm-hmm. Both both by that time would be either freshman. Mac might be a sophomore at that time, depending on if he plays. Who knows? But you can tell just scoping that out how much younger they're going to be. Um, but are you surprised that they've gone after so many quarterbacks so early for that particular class because of so far in advance that this is already happening? Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, it, if you look at the the offer list and and. I mean, it's pretty sizable, but there's three quarterbacks that they've offered that they almost have no chance with, in my opinion. And and that's not because Ryan Grubb isn't a good recruiter or Washington isn't appealing. It's just these guys are being recruited by schools across the country and and everything like that. Bryce Underwood is their top guy on their board. He's he's the what is he number three nationally overall yeah. um, in the in the uh, um Overall, and I, when I say overall, I mean I'm talking any position. He's number one at his position, but number three overall in the country, regardless of position. Akili Smith, I just don't see him ending up at, at Washington. I just don't. That's just not something I see. And then a guy by the name of Deuce Knight, they made an offer to him back in, I, I want to say it was like January, something like that. And he's a kid out of Mississippi, and he had had Washington and maybe two or three other offers. His connection to Washington is the fact that Michael Penix and his older brother were a passer-receiver combination at Indiana together. And that's how he knows uh, – that, that's how Washington kind of got in touch with them. And he was really interested. Didn't end up making a visit up to the University of Washington, though, because he got offers from pretty much every SEC and, and ACC school. And so he's got Clemson, Georgia, a lot of big schools. So – you can almost eliminate top, the top three off of the list um, on on the uh, you know that two four seven has ranked because I just don't see Washington ending up with any of those guys. But then you have Husan Longstreet out of Centennial, which is in Corona, California. Uh, Michael Tollefson, nicknamed Butter, by the way, um, out of <laughs> J. Sarah Catholic. That's the school that um, Harris, Nick Harris, and uh, uh, Dante Pettis and um, Luke Wattenberg all went to. And yeah. so Washington has a lot of success 
with guys coming out of there. Then you have Madden Ayam Aliaba out of Warren uh, High School down in Downey, California. Well, his brother is Nico Ayam Aliaba. He's the one that went to uh, Tennessee and set that record for $8 million NIL or whatever it was. Uh, then you have Dash Byerly out of Chaparral in Temecula. Jackson Collick, who I like a lot. I think he's an underrated guy out of Laguna Beach. Uh, Leo Hannon out of Servite. And then the last one that they just offered is a guy by the name of Jaron Sagopolotele out of James Camel High School in Iwa Beach, Hawaii. I think that's up on the south or down on the south shore. I don't no, know exactly. Eva Beach is by Kapolei, which Eva is Beach. on the okay. far, almost far west side oh, yeah, of the, Oahu. The, okay, so the west side yeah. of Oahu. So, um, you know, um, he's uh, and and you watch him throw. If you watch his film, he's going to remind you very much of Michael Penix, and not just because he's a lefty. His throwing style is almost identical to Michael Penix's. It's inner. It's really freaky watching it. I was like, did I pull up the right tape? Because it looked like Michael Penix. So um, definitely a guy to keep an eye on as well. So Washington, I think, has a chance to pull in a really good one or two guys from this class, the 2025 class. And they're going to need it, Chris, like you mentioned, because you've got Austin Mack and EJ Kamenon committed. You know, I, I, I don't know. Or I'm sorry. Austin Mack's already signed. He's coming in the summer. And then EJ Kamenong. But like you said, Chris, after 2024, those are the only two guys left on the roster that are scholarships unless you get some more guys in. So I think they're going to take at least one more in the 2024 class. Uh, uh, Demaricus Davis is the guy that they've kind of targeted. And uh, that's going to be an interesting guy to watch because I think he's going to try and visit on the 23rd of this uh, of June. But, um, you know, it, it's it's real interesting to see. It's, it's going to be real interesting to see, does Washington take two in the 2024 class and the 2025 class? Because that's going to be real difficult to, to sell to kids taking four in two years. Yeah, but again, the way the transfer portal is working nowadays yeah. and, and everybody gets the freebie, it, it, might be, it might be less hard work to sell it than it used to. There's no doubt about that, yes. in my opinion. Yeah, the the two names that stick out there, obviously, Achilles Smith Jr. Achilles Smith Jr., for people that don't remember, his dad was Achilles Smith, who played at Oregon. And how old does that make us feel, Chris? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, <laughs> we're not going to go there. Yeah. But, but the interesting part about that is, is that I'm assuming you're talking because of his connection with Oregon is the reason he would never even look at Washington. But we've already seen this happen with Elijah Molden. So it's it's it is it is it impossible? No. Is it improbable? Probably. I mean, it, but it seems to me that if Ryan Grubb has offered him and showed him that intent, would, would the family listen? I, I would think that they would. Um, given, yeah. Given if you look at what Michael Penix, this is what I wonder: is this the whole deal with Michael Penix? How much of how much of recruiting a quarterback now has now been opened up nationally? Because of what Michael Penix has done. You talked about Deuce Knight, for instance, coming from Mississippi. You know, there there was a possibility that could happen. You know, you talk about Bryce Underwood, the top guy in the country. He's from Michigan. You know, we know Penix is from Florida. You know, most of these kids are from California. And now you talk about uh, Sangapolo Tele from Eva Beach. I can't even remember the last time Washington recruited a quarterback from Hawaii. You might have to go all the way back to Marcus Mariota. I, I don't remember, honestly. Um, it could be that far back. 
So they are really intent, and clearly Ryan Grubb and his staff have done a ton of high, off, off homework, understanding that they're probably going to have to get two quarterbacks in this class. Yeah, in the 2025 so class. For 2025, for sure. But they're, yeah. But this is, you know, we knew, and, you know, the, the coaches can't talk publicly about specific recruits, but we do ask them general recruiting questions about these trends, about, you know, how is the portal going to affect things? How does NIL affect things? There's no question. Kalen DeBoer made it very clear that they were really scrambling for parachutes in that 2022 class. They really were trying hard to just kind of keep that thing together with with duct tape and bailing wire. But once they got that done, I think, you know, Courtney Morgan deserves a ton of credit for really getting this thing off the ground and 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 really making inroads not just for the 2023 class, because I still think even the 2023 class, I don't think they felt fully here in, 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 in Montlake at Washington. I still feel like part of it had one foot out the door. You know, the coaches still had family members that were coming in from other parts of the country. They had to settle their families in. They had to buy houses. They had to just kind of get ingrained in what what's going on in the area. So I, I, I think now, though, now that they've gone 11 and two, now that they have that story to sell that Kalen DeBoer has talked about so much, now that they have that in their back pocket, I think they've really hit the recruiting trail hard and, and, and also using that extra week that they got because they finished spring football early. I think those two things have really helped propel them to feel really, really comfortable about not just recruiting kids for 2024, but really hammering the 2025 class. And this is why I think we've seen so many offers out to so many players like quarterback. I mean, like 10 quarterbacks, that's as many, that's as many players as they've offered as, as athletes or cornerbacks. You know, usually, you know, you'd only see four or five quarterbacks in a class get offered. Whereas you might see 15 cornerbacks get offered or 20 receivers get offered and clearly Jamarcus Shepard is killing it he's offered kids from from most classes at this point he's offered kids in the 2026 class that said it really does feel like they're settled in the staff is really focused Courtney Morgan has really helped develop the system to to hit the ground running when these coaches need to go on the road sell the story of 11 and two, sell the story of Michael Penix as a Heisman Trophy candidate, sell all the positives of the program. And I think we're starting to see the results of that, even though they only have three verbal commitments. That may seem a little counterintuitive, but in this kind of, in this climate of recruiting, and especially the way that Kalen DeBoer wants to make these guys, um, feel really, really good about their commitments to the point where they're not going to look around once they make that commitment to Washington. I think we're really starting to see this thing bear fruit. Yes. I, and I fully agree with you, Chris, it's taken a while. They just, you know, some of these guys, they, because, you know, DeBoer and his staff were coming from schools that weren't on the level that Washington typically recruits at Fresno state, Indiana, Vanderbilt, um, you know, Purdue, even to a certain extent, um, you know, those are schools that didn't recruit the same kind of kids that Washington did. And so the, it's taken a while for these coaches to get used to uh, recruiting at this level. And I don't mean getting used to that. It's a bad way of saying it. They're actually 
you know, they hadn't been able to build some of the relationships with these kids because, yeah, Fresno State might have come in and offered or Indiana, Vanderbilt, Purdue, but the kid didn't spend a lot of time talking to those coaches because those coaches, they, they just weren't going to go to those schools. So they didn't develop those relationships. And now they've had a chance, you know, over the last year and a couple months to build relationships with 2026, 2025 guys <clears throat> that, <clears throat> excuse me, the pollen's getting to me. Um, but, you know, they, they've been able to get in uh, with these guys early and develop these relationships. And I think that's when you're going to start seeing it really pay off. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say, too, is I think coming from some of these schools like, you know, DeBoer and Grubb coming from Fresno, as well as Lee Marks and and uh, and William Inge and Chuck Morrell and some of these other coaches, uh, Schmidt and, and, and what have you. And then you and then you see a, a Jamarcus Shepard coming from Purdue. You see, uh, you know, some of these other coaches coming in from other places. I just don't get the sense that they're all that deterred from still trying to uncover that gem, you know, trying to find that diamond in the rough. Um, you know, you look at you look at some of the some of the you know some of the guys that are going to come in to visit and stuff like that. And people may just look at the stars. And I know that there's the argument about the stars and all that. And, and let, you know, we can go back to Keanu Wilhite, for instance, you know, a kid, like you said, only played a half a dozen games this year because of transfer rules. He's on one side. The other side of the defensive line is a, is a, is a guy who's a clear all American can go anywhere in college that he wants to go. So clearly Will Heights probably getting overlooked. I can almost guarantee you Eric Schmidt is probably paid 10 times more on Keona Wilhite than Elijah Rushing. It has nothing to do with the fact that they don't feel as confident getting rushing. I just think that it's a, a coach like Schmidt really, really digging in to see if this kid, if there's something about this guy that no one else is seeing. Because they're used to doing that. At Fresno, they had to do that every day. And that's why I just don't feel like this staff is is deterred by going after a player that maybe others aren't seeing the thing. It's it's like when um, when Chris Strasser went to – you mentioned Jay Sarah, for instance. Yeah. You've got Luke Wattenberg, All-American, all-everything, all, you know, all – you know – he he was the guy who was the prototypical left tackle. He was he was highly rated, twenty four seven. Every recruiting service had him as the guy. Who was next to him? Oh, this guy Nick Harris. He's not too tall. He's not too big. Um, you know, serviceable. But Chris Strasser really honed in on Nick Harris and goes, you know what? This kid's tough. He's nasty. He's getting after it all the time, high motor, high IQ, knows what to do on every play, flawless execution, technique sound for a high school player at that position. I think he is a guy who could really blossom under the right tutelage in college. Now he's in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like there is some of that with this particular staff. I think they... I don't think they necessarily see it as a challenge. I just don't think they stray away from it. I don't think they go away from it because they're blinded by the stars or blinded by, oh, but we can get this guy, you know, um, 
I just I, I just I have this feeling about this staff, and I don't know if you feel the same way about it. No, I I think they I honestly, Chris, I don't know, know about you when because you know I kind of took over the recruiting stuff from you a little bit, um, and but I don't know how you were back in the day when you were doing this on a regular you know day to day basis, but um, you know I I love finding the diamond in the rough. I love seeing a kid and just going, this is a guy nobody's talking about. Why? Why why are why is nobody talking about this kid? Is there am I missing something? And then you find out that no, no, you weren't missing anything. Um, you know, uh the the guy that the Seahawks drafted out of West Virginia that was the pass rusher, um totally oh, drawn Bruce, a blank. Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin. He was the one I remember I got ridiculed by people for interviewing him and, and promoting him on on the JUCO site, because he he hadn't even played a down of JUCO football, but I was like, this guy's just killing it. He went on to be an All-American, you know, yeah. and that's that's the kind of stuff that's fun. You remember when I saw Cason Williams? Remember the first time I told you about him? I saw, or the first time I told you about um, uh, the tight end who ended up being a uh, out of Kennedy uh, ended up being really good when I went to watch Nate Williams play, and then I saw this sophomore tight end running like a deer. You know, and just thought he was unbelievable, ends up uh, being really good at the University of Washington. So, you know, there, there's just it, that's one of the fun things. And I think it's something that the coaches kind of I don't I don't think they want to fill their class or their roster with diamonds in the rough and and guys that they go discover that nobody else knew about. But it's kind of fun to find those and, and you know, exercise your your uh, talent evaluating chops a little bit. And I don't think this, this staff, like you said, Chris shies away from it. I think they also know that the second we offer, you're going to, you're going to see at least five or six more schools come in with offers that are like, Hey, if Washington offered, we're going to offer. Yeah. And it's like, like for instance, Valens, the, the, the kid that just came in for the unofficial visit from the area. Yeah. And, and, and I know he's yeah. going to take an, uh, an official visit to Wash to Washington State and all that. I know there's schools on him and things like that. This is a player. He reminds me a little bit of the of the recruitment of a guy like Joe Tryon. And it's just, do you want, especially in your own backyard, do you want to be the school that missed out on that kid? Do you, you know, do you want? Now they don't always work out. I mean, we've seen right now um, with Coasi Finau. What, there was a chance that he could turn out to be a real beast, and and he may still, he just won't be doing it at Washington. You just they don't always work out. But do you want to be that school that has to explain to people why you didn't recruit that guy who ended up turning into a monster? Who know? ended up turning into uh, you know the wide receiver from Davis that nobody took a chance on? Yeah, or or for instance, you when know, Chris Peterson, that, that's a that's a all pro in the NFL now. Right. So. And like Chris Peterson, when he came from Boise state to Washington, he brought a few players. One of those players was drew sample. Drew sample is literally at Newport high school. Like what? 10 minute, 15 minute drive from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, how do you want to explain yourself? If you're Steve Sarkeesian and you haven't been recruiting this guy, he comes in, kills it at Washington. Now he's in the NFL. Now we're using all the local examples. Those are the most poignant ones because they're the ones closest to everybody here um, that's at UW. And they'll find those guys. I mean, they, you know, a guy like Jacob Lane could be that guy. We don't know until he comes out and plays and does his thing. Yeah. You know, Zach Durfee, you know, a guy from the, the played at Sioux Falls. I know 
that that Schmidt and and and, and those guys are banking on him to be that 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 diamond in the rough that all of a sudden goes berserk when he gets a chance to do it. Um, but you're right. I mean, ultimately for me, it's 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 the it's the combination of not shying away from finding those diamonds, but at the si- same time making sure that your class is really balanced where you've got leaders, you've got captains, you've got guys that are going to take control, but you also have guys that are team players that are, you know, this is the, all the subtlety of it. This is all the stuff in terms of the intangibles that these guys really have to put together that most fans, you, you can't quantify it. So there's just no way to know, right? There's just no way to be able to put, um, a, a numerical value on it when you're rating and ranking these kids, but it's so important to the overall balance of the class. And that's why I think sometimes finding these guys who, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're team leaders, but, you know, I remember back in the day where, you know, the, the, one of the, one of the trends 10, 15, 20 years ago was to try to get as many quarterbacks in your class as possible. Even if they didn't, weren't going to play quarterback in college, you wanted a guy who was maybe a quarterback in high school who could turn into a defensive back or turn into a receiver or something like that because you wanted to get as many of those captains, those leaders, those guys on the team as possible. And I don't I don't know how to quantify. I don't know what that's like today. I don't know how, you know, programs put those things together, but that was one thing that kind of came to my mind when I was thinking about trying to find the right balance trying to find the proper chemistry when you put together a particular recruiting class in, in like this cycle, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. Cause you, you have to figure out, you, you have to have, you have to have guys who are dudes. You have to have guys who are kind of um, let's say just the guys who toe the line questionably, you know, with the, uh, with the attitude and things like that, but it, you, you love them because they're athletes and they're, they're great players and then you have to have those guys who are your blue collar. A vast majority of your team is going to have to be the blue collar guys, especially a, a team like Washington. You know, Washington's never going to be on the level of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, probably Michigan even. From, not, not in terms of recruiting. In terms from, of the product on the field, they can yeah. compete. But yeah, they can. But, but you're just not going to get the same kind of guys in at Washington that you are in those other schools. Maybe every now and then you can, you can hit, hit on some, some really good guys and have a, have a roster full of some really good players that were really good players coming out of high school. But what Washington really has to uh, rely on is development and turning three stars into four stars. Whereas a lot of these um, a lot of these schools that recruit really high level guys, not all of them, obviously Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama there, they get their guys to play pretty darn well. But you see a lot of these schools, Texas A&M is a perfect example, USC, UCLA. These are schools that always used to get tons of great players. And I'm not saying they haven't had turned those guys into great players, but some of those guys have become great players despite the coaching that they got. And, um, you know, they, they coached five stars into four stars. Well, Washington, if they can recruit three stars and co- coach them into four stars, then you're kind of even with schools that take five stars and turn them into four stars. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's that real weird fine line that the coaches have to have to walk where they have to find guys that are going to be good in the locker room 
and you want a vast majority of your guys to be guys who buy into the the program, buy into the culture that you're that you've built and and are continuing to build, and also guys who are not going to be upset if they're playing um, more of a backup uh, support role rather than starting. Because you get a bunch of these guys who are peacocks that come in and fluff their feathers, and there's just not going to be enough room for them. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. There, there's no question, and it's such a huge part of it. And again, it's just something you can't quantify. You can't put a number on stuff like that. And that's why it's difficult to really see what the final product is until you actually watch them on the field and see them perform, whether that's a year, two, three years down the road. You know, it's like it's like Braylon Trice, for instance. Braylon Trice came in as a reasonably rated recruit. Wasn't you know, wasn't one of those no uh, can't miss five star guys, but he was very solid three star. Had a very good offer list, but it was like, okay, let's wait and see what can what can he be. I remember when Akaika Malloy said that he could be the next Joe Tryon, mm-hmm. and at the time it seemed a little outlandish. I have to admit, because it was a while it was a while ago. It was when Akaika Malloy was still at Washington, and and Braylon Trice hadn't really done anything to kind of warrant that kind of attention or praise. I'll tell you what, Akaika Malloy knew what the hell he was talking about, didn't he? Yes, he did. Braylon Trice is, is an absolute animal right now. And if he doesn't end up being the next Joe Tryon, it would be it, it would be a shock. One, one thing I'll say, Chris, is that when he made that comparison, I didn't necessarily disagree with the comparison. I just thought it was setting the kid up. Well, it was early. Yeah, yeah it, I, it, it I was just like, like, I don't think you warranted. should be saying, I don't think you should be saying that this early, <laughs> you yeah, know. But it didn't feel warranted at the time. Yeah, but, but you have to remember, they the, the position coaches and those players, they spend so much time together. If anybody is going to know the potential of a yep. certain player, it's going to be that coach, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. So you just hope that maybe it's not hyperbole and that the player with the proper, uh, you know, training and things like that strength and conditioning, all that stuff can finally reach his potential. And boy, we, we saw it at the end of last year for sure with Trice. And, you know, the sky is the limit for a guy like that right now that he yeah. is developing the way exactly in the way that a Kaika Malloy would have anticipated it had he, you know, stayed at Washington, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree. Hey, I, I apologize. We went way off track on that, but I thought it was a good, really good discussion to have. And it does set us up. For the second half of our show, we're going to be right back. Scott and I are going to be talking about the scholarship numbers. We're going to be talking about the specific offers to a lot of these 2024 guys, including one that came out in the last week or so. That was a very interesting one that we're going to talk about. And also the official visits coming up. We're a month away, literally a month to the the day where a lot of these official visits are going to start to happen at Washington. And then, of course, I've got to ask Scott, who are the next guys to pop? So you're stick stick with us. We're going to be right back. It's the guys from dogman.com here on Dogman Radio. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, we're back. It's Chris Fetters of Dogman.com here with our recruiting editor, Scott Eklund. And we just spent a ton of time kind of laying the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about right now. And that is kind of where the numbers are at for the 2024 recruiting class. And a lot about these offers as well. Where do you kind of want us to to lead this discussion right now, Scott? Where do you want us to go? Well, let's talk about the numbers first. What you know, the the class numbers? How I kind of see it? How we kind of see it breaking down? Oh, do, do you just want me to go? I thought you were going to ask me. Sorry. About I want that. you to roll. Oh, okay, I, sorry. Like, I, <laughs> That's hey, my bad. You got you got nothing but green grass ahead of you, okay. my friend. You you All run. Right. All right. Well, uh, basically, we've been saying for a while it's going to be 20 to 22 guys. It's not going to be 25. I just don't see them taking 25 guys in the class. Obviously, it's so fluid. And I want to I want to put that out there as an asterisk for pretty much anything that we say right now, because the numbers are so fluid and changing all the time. Are they going to get in a portal guy? Are they going to get in? Are they going to maybe offer a walk on? That that is a young guy that they said, hey, you come in, you walk on, you prove to us that you're good. We're going to give you a scholarship, and and it, then they're on the scholarship for the next four years. So a lot of things can change, but as of uh, today, we're saying that Washington will take 20 to 25 guys. It'll break down to one or two quarterbacks, likely two running backs, three wide receivers, at least one tight end, possibly two, um, three uh, offensive linemen. They've already got one in the boat. Um, by the way, they've already got one wide receiver in the boat and Le- uh, Bell or um, Landon Bell out of uh, out of uh, Henderson High out of uh, Liberty High School in Henderson, and they've got EJ Kamenong. So those the uh, quarterbacks. So you've got three commits on the offensive side of the ball: one at quarterback, one at wide receiver, one at offensive line. So those numbers are gonna. You're, you're talking about one more quarterback likely. You're talking about two more wide receivers likely, and you're talking about two more. Uh, offensive lineman likely, but there is the possibility they'll take a fourth 
if they think they're going to lose somebody from the from the depth chart, um, you know, down the road. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. As far as defensive line, I expect three defensive linemen, uh, two or three. Three is the the goal, I think. I think that's the number they want to hit with a dart. But um, I think they'd take two if they found if if you know they didn't find the right guys to to make that third one. They have a lot of guys on their board um, that are that are edges, but can grow into defensive line or uh, guys who they think that that are good fits in that way. Um, and then at edge, they'll take two or three guys. At middle linebacker, they're going to likely take two, and at um, at safety, they'll they're looking at three, possibly just two, and then at corner three, possibly just two, and then a uh, guy who just got an offer. I didn't have this on my list of takes um, in the class, but it sounds like Washington's going to pursue a long snapper, at least one specialist, a long snapper, um, and they made an offer to uh, one just recently in Cannon Skidmore. He's a um, Long snapper, uh, ranked number. I think he's in the top ten in the country um, by by uh, Coles uh, kicking uh, that has him there, and uh, he's likely going to be a guy that Washington could add um, this summer or or maybe in the early part of the season if if they deem him. They've already made an offer to him. They want to get him up on a visit, and he sounds like he's going to take a visit. So, um, and that's a story that I'm getting ready to post here very soon. Uh, so you know you're looking at you know, 20 to 23 guys or 20 to 22 guys in the recruiting class from that, that group that I just listed. So Cannon Skidmore, man, what a great name. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a perfect football name, but it's also, when I first saw Cannon Skidmore, the name, I thought, man, he would have been like an extra in like the, the Tom Cruise movie days of thunder. Mm-hmm. Remember like yep. the old racing movie yep. mm-hmm. where he was, Tom Cruise was Cole trickle. How would you like to see Cannon Skidmore going neck and neck with Cole Trickle to the mm-hmm. finish line? Yeah. You know, I just thought, I just thought, well, you know, this guy, this guy's got a perfect name. Um, and I think you laid it out on the boards. It makes a lot of sense that, you know, Jaden Green, you know, this year is going to be his last year. So if you can bring in a guy, well, it's not Chris. It's not. Yeah, he's sorry, got. Two- sorry, no, but I, what I'm saying is, if you have a guy like a Cannon Skidmore in your, on your roster. And Jaden Green is playing his final season. You have a crossover of one year and then starting that following year, which would be 2024, 25, excuse me, 2025. Then you would have Skidmore for four years. Yep. So I think I think they like that idea of having two guys there crossing over and then you have one guy for four years. And then in that fourth year, you would get another guy that could be a crossover guy. Mm hmm. Yep. And so. Yeah, a lot of people will probably really hem and haw about having one year where there's two scholarship long snappers, but I'm telling you, it's the one position you don't want to hear about. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes it might even be worth having two scholarship guys, not only in case one gets hurt, for instance, but just the idea is I, I rem- we all remember Jaden Green's first long snap. Yeah. And it wasn't pretty. But can we remember yeah. any other long snaps since? No. Not really, no. I, I huh. can't. I nope. can't. And that's and the heck, whole the guy point. made his first tackle last year, Chris. Yeah, and that's the but that's the whole point. The whole point is you don't want to hear about him. You mm. don't want to and and when we're talking about maybe having two long snappers on staff at the same time, scholarship guys, you're literally talking about eighty four and eighty five. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not it's not one of those things where it's it's you really feel like you're taking away from another. You might be taking away from a fourth string something or other. And that's about it, because at this point, the way the numbers are shaking out, the way that we're seeing them, they're actually a couple short. They're at 83 currently with some of the recent attrition. So they could again, you mentioned this, they could offer one of the current walk ons. So you could see, like, the punter, um, Jack McAllister, he could potentially, you know, I'm thinking Jack McAllister and Drew Fowler are probably the two ones that I would expect to be at the front of the line if the staff was going to offer a scholarship. That's my opinion. I don't have anything to, I don't have any inside knowledge to base that on, but those are the ones that I would think of. But then I also think that, you know, with the portal the way it is, I almost feel like they have to have a scholarship in the back of their pocket for somebody because you just never know. I think it might be an offensive lineman. It could be a defensive back, but I just feel like since you don't, you you just don't know what the situation is like at another school, because first of all, you can't, you can't tamper. You can't tap up a kid. That's illegal. Can't do that. But if, but but clearly you can hear whispers. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah. word gets around. I mean, that just happens. But if you if you see a guy that, let's say you were maybe recruiting him previously, and you really wanted that kid, and you really thought that guy would be a perfect fit for what we're doing, and you have that extra scholarship in your pocket, that's where that's where those kinds of things can happen. I'm not saying. For instance, a Michael Penix fits that description because he doesn't necessarily. But the point being is, is if you have a guy that you know that would be perfect for you and you happen to have that extra uh, ride in your back pocket, there's nothing stopping you from really making a big push and getting maybe a piece to the puzzle that will help you go from maybe winning 10 games to 11 games or going from 11 wins to 12 wins. There could be that guy out there that really could be that much of a difference maker. And a lot of times those guys enter the portal and they they already know where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. They, they really already have an idea of what their immediate future is because most of those guys don't do that blind. They just, I mean, if unless they're getting bad advice. If they're getting good advice, they should already know where they're going. Yeah. No, I fully agree. Yes, correct. So with 83 total scholarships right now, and like you said, I think that's why, is that why you bumped it up from 20 to 22 is because of the couple extra? Do you? Yeah, I, I just, I always hate to say, oh, it's 20, you know, I mean, just give it an exact number because things are so fluid with the way, heck, it could end up being 18 for all I know, Chris. I mean, it just kind of depends on. How many they're going to take in the portal? Uh, where are those guys if they do if they do take them in the portal? Where are those guys in their eligibility, Chris? You know, right. I mean, if they're bringing in a sophomore, he's going to be around for two more years. So now that means that you're not going to have that scholarship right away. And so, you know, it <clears throat> it just it's so fluid and so hard to give a hard and fast number to you guys. So I'm doing my best, but <clears throat> that's why I think that. Um, you know, 20 to 22 is probably the better, the better number. Well, here, and here's another number that will really kind of underscore why kind of putting a fine point on how many rides that will be available is so, it's such a moving target Mm -hmm. is because 
you would think right now, just looking at the landscape in general of college football, Washington was probably one of the more stable programs in the offseason in terms of transfers, getting players in, having players leave. If you wanted to take a stab of the players that were on the 2022 roster, Mm-hmm. How many players have transferred out so far, do you think? What number would that be for you? Well, you, that I expected or that have no, actually how, ma- how many have? Okay. Because you, you may have the number in front of you. I have I the number in front of okay, me. Okay, I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm going to go somewhere around, I think it's around eight or nine. Okay. You think it's eight or nine. And that and that seems reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are, there are guys that were on the roster that either didn't play much or and I'm not counting like Julius Irvin, for instance, because he medically retired. Okay. So the the ones that I have, Junior Alexander. Yeah. That was one. Um uh Miles Morale. Yeah. Caden Jumper. Yeah. Um <clears throat> uh Aaron Dumas. Yeah. Oh, uh Zakari Spears. Yeah. Five. Oh man, this is getting harder. Um, <clears throat> well, they, we think there's one more guy who's going to leave that just hasn't left yet, but that might be more of a Julius Irvin situation. So um, that's that's the numbers that I have right there. Okay, five. How how, how about fifteen? Fifteen. Wow. Okay. Okay, you mentioned you or you already mentioned guys like Dumas, right? Yep. Okay, you mentioned Alexander. Did you mention you mentioned uh, a junior, right? Junior Alexander, yeah. You mentioned morale. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Spears. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sam oh Heward. yeah, I forgot Demario King. Demario King, Sam Heward. Sam Heward, yeah. JV on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Taj Davis. Yep. Can a Camden Jumper. Caden Jumper. Caden Jumper. jumper yeah. Pardon me. Yep, yep. Caden Jumper. My my apologies. Vic Kern. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. Miles Morale. Uh, Owen Prentice, mm-hmm. Wape Hopa, because he was on the 2020 um, team. Now, uh, and he did our, transfer technically to Hawaii, even though he wasn't yeah. on the team. I get the, that. The uh, the uh, Owen Prentice one is kind of along the same lines as uh, is, is, Irvin. Is Irvin, correct? Yeah, right. He's not going to play. Not well, at least right now, now he's not going to play. Who he may he may decide. Yes, correct. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Savelle Smalls. Yeah. Daniel Haymuli. Mm-hmm. Cameron Williams. Okay. Yeah, because Cameron was on the team all year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's there you go. I mean that <clears throat> that's the thing. Washington really is one of the more stable programs. Mm-hmm. And if you think they're they're losing like 15 guys off of last year's roster, and then you look at what's going on like at Colorado, for instance, which is clearly the most radical example. Yeah, but they're literally replacing 60 to 70 guys. Yeah, didn't USC have a big turnover again? Like they had 40 last year, right? They they they're they're going through it because obviously they're going from year one to year two under uh, under Riley, and then you know Oregon's kind of going through that exact same change because they're going from year one to year two under Dan Lanning. Mm -hmm. But even even with the year one to year two under Kalen uh, Kalen DeBoer. The changeover between Washington is not that great, yet you're still seeing 15 guys, mm-hmm. at least, depending on, again, how you define a guy like a, a Pejopa or a Prentice or what have you. Because if you wanted to even add Irvin 
into that list, you, you could just keep it going if you wanted to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's pretty, it's just part and parcel of what we're dealing with right now. It's just the way things are going. And it, it doesn't feel like it's going to get any easier because of the, of the one freebie for the transfer portal. Yep. And then you have your grad transfer. Exactly. Yep. And that's, and that's another thing that you have to add into it because there are certainly guys that have done that, like Raylan Goforth, for instance, yep. you know, it's come in as, it's come in as a grad transfer and there's, I'm, there are probably others that I'm not thinking about, but, um, uh, like Jabart, no, would, no, Jabbar Muhammad would not be, um, I'm trying to no, think he if, there, if there are any others. No, uh, I don't think so. Head. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach that, Durfee was not, uh, Daniel Nagata is not, Wavis is not, Wavis so, is not. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyways, you, you will have those from time to time. And, and to be honest with you, I, I think they like having maybe one or two grad transfers in a class because they like that infusion of leadership and experience. I think that always helps. But again, you have to be very targeted in what you want to try to do. And I think the staff is, is showing that they really will try to target certain guys. They just won't go scattergun. It's not going to be that kind of an approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to move to real quick before we start finishing things up here, Scott. The official visits. We are literally a month away from this Friday to four Fridays from now. We're going to start seeing some official visits come in. It won't necessarily be the big official visit weekend, which will be the following weekend. But this, you know, the weekend of June 16th, you're going to see a number of guys come in, including EJ Kamenon, for instance. But you're also seeing a few other guys that are very high targets for the Huskies. I kind of want to see... Uh, you lay out these these official visits and how you think they're going to go. Well, um, you know, one thing I, I made known in the blog is that I, I do not expect Washington to have, what did they have, like 18 commits by the end of summer, somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, Washington is not going to be there. They're going to have eight to 10 uh, commitments by the end of the summer, in my opinion. You know, maybe maybe one or two more, but you, you're just not going to see their almost their full class signed by then because I think Washington really likes where they stand with some of these guys that are um, going to wait a little while and maybe even guys who've already committed that they're still going to work on and, and they, they want to have spots available for them. So I think Washington's going to hold off. You're not going to see this huge surge. I mean, what was there in over like a 10-day span in Washington? Like we had a commit story, at least one commit story every day for 10 days, right? Wasn't it yes. something close to that last year? And yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And yeah, that was over an extended like ten days. But because they had guys, like, I remember Zach Henning actually came in earlier in the week. You know, maybe a few days before all the main guys came in, so yeah. they were kind of, you know, bringing guys in when they could to try to fit them in. And you know what? I mean, we may see that situation where guys who they really feel good about and who who they feel good about UW, they may prioritize and say, you know what, if if this is the time where I need to come and visit, even if it's like a Tuesday, Wednesday, let's do it because yeah. this is the thing that and makes that's what they're sense doing. for me. Yeah, because right now they have 13 guys committed to take uh, official visits on the 23rd. I, I'm not going to list all the names. They're up on our board, though, or not the board. Well, they are on the board, but they're also. I'll, um, I'll link. I'll link them. Yeah. In, I'll link them in our story. Yeah. So, um, but and then um, they've got one for midweek, a Wednesday through Friday visit. That's Paul Menke. He's a four-star safety out of uh, Texas, 
And then they have four guys committed to take official visits on the 16th, which is the weekend before the big weekend. So that's the one that's the first one I'm talking about, like like a month from today. Yeah. And those guys, I think you're going to see at least three or four more guys added to that number. And you're probably going to see like four or five guys added in the middle of the week um you know for visits but washington doesn't want to have 20 what do they have 25 guys on campus that weekend that big weekend they don't want to do that again they want to be able to spend more time with guys they want to give them the proper treatment and everything like that and so i think you're going to see that they're only going to have like maybe 14 they've got 13 committed to visit and i think there's one more that's going to be added and maybe a a a second one to be added in that, but they're, they're not going to have 25 guys. They'll have 14 or 15 guys. And, and one of those guys is Pacifina. And Paul, so yes, correct. Already committed. So, you know, you might have him actually, you know, he'll be taking his official visit. He'll be soaking it all in. He'll be getting the red carpet treatment, but then depending on his personality, depending on how he feels about it, he may end up becoming an extra recruiter for Washington that yep. week. And there's guys in that list that we're going to be talking about as guys that I think could be the next to pop at the University of Washington. So, well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Yep. So, we're going to get there. So, but it is interesting because back in the day when I was doing a lot of the the recruiting stuff like that, we would call it the world tour. And this is where players would go and they would try to hit as many schools in a a region that they could as Mm -hmm. much as they could. This mostly had to do with like camps and things like that. But I think you're starting to find now when you have more and more players that want to make their verbal commitments before their senior season so they can get the recruiting part of it out of the way, that they're trying to do more of these world tour type things with official visits. Mm-hmm. And it, because you couldn't do it back in the day. Back in the day, you couldn't take official visits until the season started. At the earliest. And most of the colleges wouldn't want you to visit during the season because they wanted to focus on the game instead of having to have one eye on the game and one eye on the recruits. Because you only get this one shot to, to really lay the, the best impression on a, on a recruit as you can. And so it makes sense, Scott, what you're saying in terms of the numbers and trying to limit them. I don't know if it's because they learned a specific lesson about how they did it last year and how maybe they just want to be a little bit more targeted, but it makes sense to me. It makes Mm -hmm. sense to me that they're trying to do that. But at the same time, it also makes sense that you're thinking there might be some more guys tacked onto that first weekend because, you know, they're trying to make sure that they get in. How much of this now do you think, because back in the day, getting the last visit was almost as important as getting a visit. Is it is that does that mean as much now as it used to? I think it does. I do. I really do. Because if a guy's going if got okay, so let's say you got a guy and he lines up commitment or I'm sorry, uh official visits on the second, ninth, sixteenth, twenty-third of June, right? You yeah. want to be that last visit. The problem with being the last visit, Chris, is if the kid gets tired of taking official visits, and I know that sounds weird to people, but they are strung out. <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, they are tired. That 48 hours, they they probably get maybe three hours of sleep. Five. (laughs) Yeah, five. 
you know, it's just, it's not much. Like I've talked to so many guys are just like, dude, I'm so freaking tired. I had a, a lot of fun, but I am so tired. right now. I mean, now. like you'll, you'll get up, you'll have yeah. breakfast like at six or seven in the morning. They'll have and you got to be on meetings. with the coaches. It's, yeah, it's, you have meetings with coaches. You'll go check out facilities. You'll go downtown. You'll go to the Space Needle. You'll go have lunch. You'll go have dinner. You'll go hang out with the players, and they'll show you around. It's 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 nonstop. It's absolute yeah. nonstop. And it's it just gets to be so being that last visit is important, but it can be hard too because maybe the kid doesn't make it that far. So you re- it's once again, this is the coaches figuring out how to read the player and read the family and understand that, hey, he likes us. He's going to visit even if he's tired. Right. Yeah. Or he might just say, hey, I've seen enough. I, I don't want to even be any more visits. I, this is the one I uh, we always go with. The last school to get a visit is typically the one that kids choose. But that means but uh, a guy by the name of uh, Jermaine uh, I'm, uh, Gresham. Um, Dylan Gresham from um, from uh, uh, San Jacinto, same high school that Washington has uh, Vincent Holmes from, is, you know, he's set his commitment date for the 22nd. Well, he's not visiting any schools until June. And so, you know, it's like yeah, we say the 22nd, we're talking about three days, May 22nd. Yeah, May 22nd. So oh, two days. from uh, now. Excuse me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like. Okay, so you're still going to take visits after what? What's going on? Okay, so, you know, I mean, it's just there's a lot of things that come into play in this whole thing. But, yeah, I I think you always want to have the last visit before a kid makes his decision. The problem is he might just be so tired by the end of it that he might not even make it to your visit because he might just say, you know what? I'm committing because I'm tired and I really like this school. So, yeah. Now, now, if a, a person like Gresham, like if he's already taken unofficial visits to all these finals, yes. so most whatnot, of these kids have taken unofficial visits. to school, I was going to yes. say that's one thing. But if he literally hasn't visited and he's making a decision before he takes his official visit, I'd be like, that's a massive red flag. Yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't. I, I'm not sure I would take a commitment. But he like hasn't that. taken any official visits. Yeah, that's the but thing. He, but, yeah. he, but I'm assuming he's taken at least one unofficial visit to all yeah, these schools. Yeah, he's been to Washington. Yep. Yeah, he's okay. been and he's been to Oregon, he's been to Arizona. Those are his final 3. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah, um, it's it's just I mean, it's it's such a weird dynamic that you have to work with when you when you're talking to these kids. So. So, and just and just to just to nail you down just a little bit just to make sure I I understand, you feel like they're going to add more prospects, recruits to the first official visit weekend of June 16th. So it could end up being maybe eight to 10 players. Maybe, maybe not that, that many. They have four. I could see six to eight somewhere in there. Okay. I, but yeah. you don't necessarily think it's with the idea that they're going to get commitments from those players. Uh, because I, you're I, saying overall, because you know, let's say there's, let's say they double it. Let's say there's eight for that Friday. And we already know that there's at least 13 for the following weekend, and there's at least one because you mentioned Paul Mankey coming in earlier. Yeah. So you're looking at a total of, you know, what's my what's my my math my math skills? Eight. Well, you have 18, and then add in uh, one plus three. So you're looking at about 22 to 23 yeah. potentially. Yeah. And you said and you said that you don't think Washington's going to end up with more than like eight to ten total commitments. 
yep. by the end of this this particular official visit window. Correct. Um, so it just it tells me. Do you do you feel like that if they add extra visits, you don't necessarily think it's with the idea that they're going to nail down commitments? Not necessarily. Or the kid has said, hey, I want to take, and I've already got the 23rd schedule with another school, and I'm going to commit before my season. So if you want to get a commitment out of me, then you got to take me on that weekend. Yeah, it, it certainly makes sense because you're you're you've got to get in the window first. You got to get yeah. in to be able. I mean, you've got to get them on campus. Well, I mean, for example, fired up. For example, Dominic Kirks. Yeah. Um, he has visits scheduled to Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and Washington. Washington is the one on the 16th, but there's no one after that. Right. That he's planning to take visits to. The problem with that is, is He's saving them because he might want to take some in the fall is what he told me. Sure. And, and, and you know if, what? That's that's smart policy. If he yeah, doesn't plan on yeah. if he doesn't plan on making an early commitment yet is fine with taking early official visits and he's from out of town because yeah. he's from Cleveland, you know, and you're University of Washington. I'm not saying you're in a position where you take him when you can get him, but you kind of are. Mm hmm. You, yep. I mean, you kind of have to. You know, well, you kind of have he, to he's like. A guy, they, he's a guy. I think Washington is saying, "Hey, we're gonna try and get him not to take any more visits and make a commitment to us." For sure. That's what they're that's trying your, to do. Yeah, that's their job. Their job is to sell, and and they could potentially do that. And if there's no, as you said, there's no official visits on the back end, they may accomplish that. They may very well do that. Now, I think it's going to it's going going to really uh, test. Kirk's Kirk's his willpower and and whether or not he's willing to continue to keep going into December, potentially into January, maybe all, all the way into the February window, because he's not he's not a five star can't miss guy. Mm-hmm. He's a three star. He's a current three star guy that has a good offer sheet, but it's not it's well, not amazing. And I think where wherever he ends up. Um, no matter where he ends up, if Ohio State decides to come in and offer, <laughs> that one's going to be tough to overcome. Well, I think sure, it's be and, tough. And, it, and it's not like Washington hasn't seen that recently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if this is, and, and again, these are part of the reasons why you really have to 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 you know find the tightrope between getting these guys to commit early. Yet with the understanding that they can get poached at any time. Mm-hmm. Now it, and it and it's not like Washington hasn't done a little poaching in their time too. Yeah, they've done it with Washington State forever. They did it with Joe Tryon. They did it with Bishop Sankey. They've done it with others. And so it's it's not like Washington can't play that game too. We just haven't necessarily seen it with this particular staff. Yes, but it will happen. I, I can almost promise you it'll happen because it's just the law of numbers. It just suggests that that if if they lose to somebody, they're gonna find someone that they can grab. Yeah. It just kind of makes it just kind of makes sense. So now we're gonna go to the final. Unless you have something else to add on that, Scott. Let's no. go to the final no. final section here of the podcast. We gotta put your feet to the fire, my friend. Who's the next to pop? Well, I mean, I think if they get Cannon uh, Skidmore. To take a, his official visit, I think he's locked in. I think that's a kid who's going to commit to Washington. He only has an offer from Air, uh, Air Force right now, and he's got some other schools looking at him, but they want him to get out to camps and and maybe see him in his senior season, and he wants to lock things in. I think he's definitely a guy that people need to keep an eye on. 
he was up for, to Washington for their spring uh, preview, and uh, he got his offer yesterday and said Washington's been talking to him about taking his official visit in June, and he's looking at doing that. So that's one uh, one name. I was kind of going through the list, Chris, when you told me you wanted to talk about this and and kind of trying to figure out, okay, who who else do I see as a guy who's a possible pop uh, to go to the University of Washington? Right now, um, I like where Washington stands with a with a few guys. Um, Decker DeGraff, the tight end out of Southern California, I think it's Glendora, um, Southern California, 6'4", 230 pounds. He's scheduled for the 23rd of June, though, and he's supposed to take a few other visits before he comes up to the University of Washington. I think he's going to end up at Washington, but – I he's not going to it's not going to happen here for another at least another month and a half, probably, because you're probably talking the end of June, if not into July before he makes his decision. Um, another guy that say, ironically enough, he, the, the school that he's got locked in for uh, an official visit other than Washington is the week before to Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. Emmett Mosley is a guy who really likes Washington a lot, but he's got a lot of offers. And so that's a guy who, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on him. He's got visits to Stanford, UCLA, and then Washington to end the month. UCLA already took the visit to. That was last weekend that he visited UCLA. He's going to visit Stanford on June 2nd, and then he's going to visit Washington on the 23rd. I bet you he fits in at least one more, if not two, in that before that Washington visit. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, A guy who really likes Washington a lot is a guy by the name of, uh, where is he, Justice Williams, out of uh, Oaks Christian High School down in at Westlake Village. Um, that's a school where Nick Montana came from. And who was the big, Eric uh, Kohler was from there. Those yeah, are the that's, two. A, that's a big-time private school down there. Yeah, big private school down there. And Justice Williams, 6'4", 195-pound wide receiver, got that big body Washington's really looking at. He's looking at taking a visit on the 23rd to the University of Washington as well. So that's a few guys from the offensive side of the ball. Defense, boy, it's real tough, man. They're they they they're on, in on some guys that just have so many opportunities at other schools. It's, it's really hard to say. I think you might even see a portal guy before you see a defensive guy make his decision. I really like Josh Lair, uh, the safety out of Fort Bend uh, Marshall in Missouri City, Texas, um, 6'185 185 pounds. Um, they really like, um, where is it, uh, Kingston Lopa. He's a guy, he's 6'5". He's out of uh, Sacramento area, I believe, down in, in Southern California, and he's going to be yeah, visiting Grant, Washington. that's the – that's uh, He's at Grant? Yeah, that's Shaq Thompson's school. Okay. I thought it was I thought it was at a different school, so that's my bad. Um, but um, you know, I don't I think if they can get Demericus Demericus Davis on campus, they have a really good shot. Oregon State is a school to keep an eye on for him. Um, you know, I I've got a good feeling about where things stand with um uh where is he? Ikanasio Tupo, I think is his name. Where I, I got to pull yeah. him up on my list Ignacio here. Ignacio Tupo, yeah, from yeah, Palo Tupo Alto. out of Palo Alto. I think Washington's doing really well with him too, and I think that when he visits the University of Washington, he's one of those guys that's going to be here on the 23rd. He's another one who could pop. So that's about four or five guys. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's going to be a little while before we see some things happen. I I could see them getting a dominant Kirks. Um, in in June at some point when he takes his official visit because he's already visited once unofficially 
But um, man, I, I think they're going to, that's, that's going to be one that they're going to have to hang on to because he's going to blow up this fall. People are going to see what he can really do. And um, yeah, I, I think that's, I think the defensive side of the ball is a lot tougher to call. Um, you know, Kamara uh, Motuti is a guy that they like a lot and has, has been a lean to Washington for a long time. And then he took his unofficial visits, still loved Washington, but Oregon blew him away and Oregon gets the last visit. So that's one. Um, but Kamori House is a guy to keep an eye on, too. Uh, Greg Biggins just did a report on him. Uh, he's getting more offers. He got Texas, I think, recently. And um, he's a guy who could play almost anywhere in the in the, you know, back two thirds of the of the um, of the of the defense. You know, he can play middle linebacker. He can play outside linebacker. He can play safety. He can play even maybe some some uh, um, what do you call it? Husky uh, where, because he's so good against the run and he's so good in space. So once again, just a lot of guys that Washington's really doing well with, but I don't know if anybody's going to pop here in the next couple days. I, I think you're probably looking at another, at least two or three weeks before you see another commitment. And then you'll see a flurry. I think you'll see a flurry before the end of the, the summer. I think you'll see like eight more commitments so that Washington gets to 10 or 11. And then they hold tight until they see what they can do during the football season. Yeah, I was going to ask you, too, the Tupo uh, offensive lineman from Palo Alto, you saw him at the Under Armour camp down in L.A., right? Uh, no, he actually didn't show up. Oh, okay. He did not show up. That, the one you're looking at is is uh, that picture that is on his profiles from last year, gotcha. not this year. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah, okay. I was hoping to see him. I, I was totally looking forward to it, but he did not show up. The guy that I did see was Pocky Finau, though. He was there. And he right. It, it just feels like he's he's got a really a, a pretty solid offer sheet already. It, but it's still I maybe I got the sense that he it feels like he's a little bit more of a high riser than an established guy. Yeah, but, I mean, he's raw. He's raw. So, I mean, there's not a lot of kids that come out of Palo Alto High School. He'd be are, definitely. So he's considered probably one for the future. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, that's pretty much the way all offensive linemen are. It's very few are going to come in and play right away. You're just you're looking at guys two or three years down the road and what they're going to look like. I mean, honestly, Elisha Jaquette is a guy who could play this year and Landon Hatchett could play this year. But everybody else are guys that, you know, Zach Henning um, and the two other linemen, uh, Kale Tafai and um, drawn a blank on the other one. But those guys, none of those guys are as much as I love Henning. And I think he's got to have a great future. He's Roger Rosengarten, Jr., he me. had a great spring. I yeah, he had, he had a, a really spring. good spring. But you could, but Chris, we both made the mention that he just needs to add size. He just right. needs to get bigger and stronger. Right. He just right. he's not going to be able to hold up against guys that are rushing him that are same size as him, but way quicker. He's not going to be able to hold up against them right now. He needs at least a year, if not two, in the strength and conditioning program, learning the the different techniques that Scott Huff is teaching, and then I think you unleash him on the world when he's a redshirt sophomore, when he's a third year sophomore. Yeah, and it's Suami Fasolo is the other yeah. player. It also from the from the Palo Alto area, East Palo Alto, um, went to a different high school than Tupac. Yep. So, yep. So let's wrap this thing up, Scott. Any final thoughts? We went through this is a long one, baby. I hope I hope <laughs> I hope the Washington fans out there enjoy this one because this was uh this was an enjoyable chat. I really got a chance to we got into the meat of uh, a few different topics. 
and uh, really enjoyed this one. But any final thoughts to kind of wrap this thing up? No, no, just that, uh, you know, people need to be patient with this class. They need to be patient with this staff on the recruiting trail. They're still I don't want to say they're still getting their footing from the sense that they don't know what they're doing, but I think they're still just like reestablishing these relationships and proving to these kids. You know, a lot of these kids didn't, you know, the 2023 kids didn't commit to Washington because they just didn't know what the staff was going to do. And then when they already had opened, when they really opened their eyes in the first, you know, what, seven games of the season and they were, what were they, six, five and two. And then they went on that run at the end of the season. The kids had already made their decisions. So, it's really going to be, I think a lot of more, a lot of 2024 kids are just want to see how the Huskies start the season. I think they want to see how they go. Um, I think they also know they're losing a lot of talent from that next team. And, and so is Washington going to take a dip in 2024? Who knows? You know, is Ryan Grubb even going to be around? We don't know. There's just a lot of if, ands, or buts that, that you're talking about when it comes to Washington in 2024 and so I think those 2024 kids these kids are not kids who are stupid they they look at rosters they look at the way things are going they look at trends they have people telling them all these different things and so they're they're going to be like yeah I'm going to hold off and just see kind of where things go and uh, I want to talk to coach DeBoer what's he going to do if he loses coach Grubb who's he looking at for his next guy all that different stuff and I think that eventually Washington will show them hey Regardless of who we have in here, we're going to be able to get guys onto the NFL, get guys ready for life after football as well. And we're going to you're going to have a chance to win a championship. And I I guarantee you um, if And Chris, please, I know you're real big on the realignment stuff. I'm not ready to even talk about that stuff, really. But if Washington, if there's a sense that Washington could be going to the Big Ten, that's going to help increase their ability to recruit these kids and tell them that we're going to have a chance to win a national title with guys like you in our roster playing for the Big Ten rather than they do when they're playing for the Pac-12. That's just reality right now in the Pac-12 and how it's viewed by people, even kids out here on the West Coast. So. Uh, a lot of stuff is still going to play out here over the next six months, and um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and 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 for the record, I'm not into the realignment stuff right now. Oh, you aren't? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to to see the dominoes fall the way they are. Yeah, okay. But but we're not. Yeah, we're not there yet. It to to say that realignment would not play a part in recruiting would be foolish. I think all this this is like a four ring circus because you got realignment, you got NIL, you got transfer portal, you got the regular high school stuff going on. What 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 the coaches have to do, and and, and they're getting some amazing salaries right now. But really, when you break down all the different balls that they've got to keep juggling in the air the more it makes sense why they get paid what they get paid because it's really almost impossible to keep it all straight. It would be tough to keep it all straight with like 10 guys, let alone 30 guys, yeah. let alone 85 guys on a football team, division one football team. It is absolutely incredible. So I agree hundred um, percent. You know, the one thing that we know about the university of Washington is it's not moving. It's going to be in Seattle. No matter, no matter if it's a part of the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, ACC, whatever whatever conference acronym comes out of whatever realignment ends up happening, whether it happens in six months, six years, who knows? University of Washington's always going to be in Seattle, Scott. That's yeah. never going to change. So all this other stuff may affect recruiting to a certain extent, but just 
in what portions and how, you know, what are the percentages that the, the portal impacts recruiting? What are the percentages that NIL impacts recruiting? What are the percentages that academics impact recruiting? You got me. And this is why I have always considered recruiting to be half art and half science. Yeah. Because there is a, a bit of a science to it. But at the end of the day, you're still dealing with kids and you're still dealing with humans and you're still dealing with parents and you're still dealing with coaches and trainers and everybody else that comes into the equation. And they've all got their own idea of how they think things should go. And that's never going to change. That's never going to change. So but I but I think Washington fans should be really enthused about the way that this staff recruits. I don't think they're shying away from trying to go after some big game, but I also don't think that they're shying away from finding the guy in their own backyard who could be a difference maker, who maybe other teams outside the region aren't looking at. And so I think that's really important to consider as well. And I think it's because of their backgrounds. It's because they understand that some of the best stories that can come out of college football are the underdog stories. You don't you don't want a constant diet of underdog stories, but when you have one or two in your program that really helps elevate, you look at it at a Fuan Ulufosio, for instance. That's a kid that's elevating this program right now. And he was and he, and he was a walk-on. Washington has a storied history of walk-on players doing big things. And so I think that this all obviously comes together to make this thing work. And we'll really, I'll be very, very curious to see how these official visits go starting in a month to see if some of your predictions have come true. Because I think there's a very good chance that they could. So we will wrap it up there. For Scott Eklund, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs.